1: The MLB app, baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's Gabe time. Gabe Coon. Gabe Coon was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the easy bake oven like a boss the best lineman on the radio well the only lineman on the radio it's game time game time we're ready the gabe coon show 92.9 fm espn
0: how about it welcome in chilly monday very chilly monday october 30th 2023 the weather has shifted but it's time for the gabe Show. i am your host Former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman, Gabe Kuhn, on X underscore Kuhn71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. That would be Connor Dunning. On X that C Dunning, 929. Connor, what's the word, brother? How are you? What's up, man? Nothing much, man. Nothing much. I'm I still wore a t-shirt. I still wore a t-shirt into the yeah, studio. Yeah, because you're a lunatic.
2: I'm thriving. Yeah. I'm all bundled up. It's fantastic. It's beanie season. It's beanie season year-round for you? Though. Yeah, it I'm is. It, it is. You're,
0: you're always you're always rocking.
2: I'm always cozy. Yeah. It's my vibe.
0: I get it. You got a little nice, nice <laughs> fresh cup of coffee there, I see. And oh, a nice yeah. mug, yes.
2: Oh, yeah. My Spider-Man mug.
0: Gotta love it. Gotta love it. We're nearing the end of October. We're about to go into the final month of college football. In the regular season. That's wild to think about. It's it's a little sad. Yeah, it, it comes and it goes fast, but we're in a basketball season and we have some grizzlies to talk about. Grizzlies are
2: 0-3. Talk about scary.
0: That's not fun. Definitely a spooky season for them. They play the Mavs tonight. Uh, at 7 o'clock, 6.30, we'll pass you off to uh, Grizzlies pregame with Jessica Benson. Uh, now, not so spooky. It was spooky season for Lane yesterday <laughs> in FedEx Forum. 106-49. to 49. I, I, Listen, D2 game, you know you're going to win it going in, generally speaking. Unless, uh, you know, And Lane gets up and down the floor. Stylistically, they're not like CBU where they're going to make you a little uncomfortable running slower offense. But the Tigers, a lot of good. A lot of good to talk about. In the Tiger basketball world. Now three or two and a half hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. We talk about all that basketball, and we have football. We have college football week nine to recap. Monday night football headed on the way. NFL week eight. Um, and part of college football week nine was the uh, Tigers going to Denton, Texas. And that game ended a lot closer than I thought it would. What do you say? What do you think? I think, I think. I think you're probably there with me, right? It's
2: not what you wanted. 31 to 7
0: is how the game started. 31 to 10 at half as North Texas added a field goal. So I thought both sides of the ball came out ready to go. It was the reverse of the UAB game, um, where they had a bad first half uh, against UAB and a really good second half. They had a really good first half and a miserable, awful, reminiscent, recognizable. Second half. When it came time to finish, did they finish the Tigers? Yes. They ended up throwing a deep ball to Joe Skates over the top. They win 48-45. But, my God, there are some issues that need to be discussed. There's no question about it. Also on the show today, 5.30, get a trip around the NFL, 5.50. We'll get to small talk tomorrow. We're doing Halloween movies, top five Halloween movies for, in honor of Halloween. I cannot
2: wait. Okay. I cannot wait.
0: You have, I mean, you have any honorable mentions to throw out right now?
2: Honorable mentions, to yeah. Throw where's out Hocus right Pocus?
0: Now? Does Hocus Pocus Hocus get Pocus on the Hocus Pocus for you? is not.
2: No, we watched. <laughs> we watched those over the weekend. They're. I'm very, Are uh, you
0: more horror genre or like how do you how do you how do you go by uh, go about rating your Halloween movies? I guess is is the way I'd I'd put it.
2: So horror is the top level. Yes. Spooky's probably in between. Or no, I would say it's spooky scary horror is how okay. it would go. So, like, I usually like to stay in the scary zone, and I sneak into the horror zone okay. sometimes. But I would put Hocus Pocus down in, like, the spooky. It's like, you know, that's it's for, like, families. It's Well, you know, no,
0: it's nostalgic, yeah. right? Like, that's what I'm saying. Does nostalgia make your list? Yeah,
2: no. Okay, you're no, not in the... St- I mean, the classic horrors will. We'll talk about it tomorrow. It's, I'll break okay. it down tomorrow. Yeah, gotcha. I got a lot of thoughts.
0: Gotcha. I hear you. As far as guests are concerned, uh, normal Monday, um... Again, a little bit shortened because of Grizzlies pregame at 6.30. We'll pass you off to Jessica Benson then. But Jeff Coggins at 5 o'clock. Jeff Coggins Show in the Daily Memphian. And also 6 o'clock. Harold Grader, associate executive director of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl before we pass you off to Grizzlies versus the Mavs. Now, uh, nowhere, nowhere else to start for me besides Tigers versus uh, versus North Texas. That first half was phenomenal, quite frankly. It looked like a game that you wanted them to. To put away early, and it looked like they were going to be able to put away, uh, put it away early. Thirty-one to seven is how the game started. Uh, North Texas's run defense was all that we expected it to be. Blake Watson in that first half broke off a sixty-five yard run, followed by another fifty-plus yard run for a touchdown. Uh, he ended the game with two hundred and sixty-nine yards all-purpose. Um, 100 catching the ball, 5 receptions, 17 carries for 169, and 2 TDs. And I still find it funny that he only made the honor roll, the weekly honor roll for the AAC. Looks like Preston Stone, the quarterback for SMU, ended up bringing home the the, the hardware for AAC offensive player of the week. But North Texas is not a good team, and the Tigers took advantage that entire first half. They allowed them to get a field goal before half, 31-10. Nothing to worry about. At that point, you get into the second half, though, and everything just started to go out the window, Connor. I'm going to be completely frank. Um, if you're going after Ryan Silverfield today, I think you're partially wrong. But I do think there are three particular things that jumped off the page at me that the coaching staff did not do well. And one is a little more abstract. They didn't have them ready to play in that second half. In in, in the locker room, you have to say, oh, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, we have to put this team away, we can't act like we have this big lead, rest on our laurels, get comfortable. And it felt like that entire team, from a a, a standpoint of having the energy to come out in the second half and put that North Texas team away, it felt like they lacked that. It felt like they did not have that. And uh, Chandler Rogers, the quarterback for North Texas, came out in the second half and started going off. They also ran the ball well. Ayo Adey and uh, Oscar Adway the third they just started running the ball relatively well. Um, other two things have to do with third and fourth down calls. There was a third and sixth call in the third quarter, which ultimately led to a miserable, a miserable turnover on downs. Uh, well, this one was in the fourth quarter. I'm talking about. Um, they ran a read option with Seth Henigan where he kept it uh, minus a yard. Now. On that, uh, on that fourth down, they had a ball that should have been delivered perfectly. It was delivered perfectly to Demir Blankhamsey. He just didn't he, – he dropped the ball. It was a turnover on downs. And also, there was a fourth and one where they got a little spooked by the fact that Brandon Thomas couldn't get the third and one across and get the first down, so they threw a slant to Rock Taylor in a one-on-one situation. Needless to say, he did not win. It was just not a good play call. But those are the three things, like two play calls and not having your team ready to go in that second half that I think you can directly put on Ryan Silverfield. Now, 31-10 to 10 by half, I thought they came out with a good game plan. They ran the ball. They did everything they were supposed to on the defensive end. Ben don't break style of defense. I thought in the second half, for the most part, it was marred by a lot of lack of execution by the players. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's what I saw. Maybe I'm being full football guy. Maybe I'm uh, discounting the fact that, uh, the players were not put in good positions, were not given the energy enough to go put that game away by the staff. But I saw missed tackle after miss tackle. I saw a team that was not ready to buck up and stop the run in the second half. I saw a secondary that continually let guys beat them when the ball was in the air, even though they were in good position. And quite frankly, I saw a wide receiver corpse that drop balls in big situations. Joe's case, before he caught that final touchdown of the game to go up 48-45, to 45, he dropped a ball in the end zone in the third quarter that could have won you the game in the end by two, tu- two touchdowns, two scores. Damir Blancomsey, on what felt like back-to-back drives, had a dropped third down ball and a dropped fourth down ball that were delivered right in between, right on his number. He's number zero right on that zero and he just dropped him. He gator-armed him. It just didn't work out that way. I thought that the players, in a lot of ways, and I know this is, you know, in college, you don't really go after players the same way you would in the National Football League. I thought the players promoted that game to make it very interesting in the very end. They allowed that to happen. You have to execute better in those types of situations, and they didn't seem ready to answer the call when their number was called.
2: Right. It, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I I understand the conversations that are happening about Ryan Silverfield today after this of type of game. I understand that people are saying, well, there, there's no excitement around the program. Well, and I think they did come true, out in the largely. second half. All of that is true, but they, they did come out in the first half, and that is also coaching. So if you want to <laughs> if you want to discredit his coaching because of the second half, I do think you have to give him credit credit for how they came out in the first half and they executed. That's why it's interesting because I, I agree with like what Mark Giannato wrote. I thought he had a very good piece today when he wrote about how you just... The conversation around Ryan Silverfield, it's kind of a nuanced one right now because, yes, it, I understand that there's not a lot of excitement around the program right now. People are, are saying, do the Tigers need to move on? I'm just under the opinion, you can't fire a 6-2 and two coach. He you, still won <laughs> the game at the end of the day. I understand all of the criticisms that are coming for Ryan Silverfield. But when you also watch the second half of that game, like you talked about, there were a lot of drop balls. I mean, Seth Hennigan had one of the better games he's I had this he, I season. I thought he played well. The offensive line played well. The defense didn't show up in the second half, and – And the skill position guys didn't show up. That's what happened in the second half there. You can say that that execution, you can put it back on the coaching staff, but at some point you have to say it's the player's responsibility to show up and the tackle guys. When a guy's right in front of him and he doesn't make a tackle, you can't blame that on Ryan Silverfield. And
0: and 45-42 final score, I kept saying 48-45. We talked
2: about it before the show. This game, it allowed for confirmation bias to come into the picture, I think, with the Memphis fan base where – when you are already thinking in your head that Ryan Silverfield might not be the guy for this job, this is the type of game that gives you all of the evidence I, in the world to be able to make an argument.
0: And I, I think you just look at that second half and them let, letting go of the rope. You've seen it. It's reminiscent of right, what you've seen right. the past few years. They had a game against... Uh, uh, UTSA, UT San Antonio, where they were up 21-0 and allowed that team to creep back in, start running the ball. They missed tackles, and UTSA ultimately won that game, the Houston game last year. There's a lot of different examples of this team having good first halves, looking good, and then resting, relaxing, not executing, having some bad calls by the coaching staff along the way. I saw that a little bit less, though, from the coaching staff. I didn't see this game as as a complete coaching malpractice, a bunch of gaffes made. There were some. You're going to see some in every single game. But I think the players let go of the rope pretty substantially. And as a coach, you can only try to finish that game when it gets out of hand. And the players finally realized once a 42-38 to 38 lead was taken, hey, we got to go, go get this thing back. We cannot lose this game. There's no excuse to lose this game. Um, and they ended up doing it. And I do have to give all the credit in the world. It, it may got, it may have gotten sort of skipped over because of the way the second half went. And you, you think North Texas is not a very good football team because I don't think they are a good football team by any stretch of the imagination. But Seth Hennigan, I thought, you mentioned it, I thought he played a very good game. 22 for 28, 330 yards, had the TD at the end. And the one thing we have yet to see from him in his college career is when that time gets tough, when you have to go make a play to win a ball game in the waning seconds. I think there was 40-some-odd seconds left on the clock when they drove down to go take the lead with a Joe Skates deep ball. He made that play. That's simple as that. And I think it takes a lot. I mean, Joe Skates was a guy who, in the third quarter, dropped a ball in the end zone that was just an easy, easy touchdown. Again, that would have probably put the uh, final score, uh, you know, Tigers probably would have won by two scores, two touchdowns, whatever it may be, if he catches that ball. A lot of things happen, you know, the butterfly effect. But it takes a lot of cojones to deliver a ball downfield and one-on-one coverage to a wide receiver who has largely dropped the ball in those situations, who has largely not come through for you in those big moments. Seth put it on Joe Skates. Joe Skates did the rest. And I thought Seth showed a lot of resolve and growth in that moment where we have not seen him come through in those
2: moments. The biggest thing he did during the game for me was he took care of the football. He yep. didn't panic. He didn't try to force things when, when the play wasn't there. He took care of the football and he let the game come to him. And that's what you have to do. And that's what he did a lot of the times his freshman year. And he's been struggling with sometimes this year. Yeah, so I agree with you. I understand the criticisms of Ryan around Ryan Silverfield and the excitement around this program right now. But I cannot buy into. I can't buy into talks about firing a coach who's six and two right and now. I, and <laughs> I just I
0: can't. Do and it. the truth of the matter it's, it's, is, like I, I understand where it's coming from because you've been disappointed. Uh, largely, and you see these games against inferior opponents be way closer than they need to be, like right. this North Texas game, 45-42. They had to have a last-second touchdown with 12 seconds on the clock to go win the game. I get where it's coming from, but he's 6-2. and two. This is the first time, this marks the first time in his career where he's won two games on the road in conference in a row. That's that. That's bothersome as well. But I feel like this year, yeah, you could talk about competition and everything else. I think this team is the best team he's had, and they're playing largely like the best team he's had at 6-2. and two. And now you just look at the rest of the schedule. South Florida at Charlotte uh, versus SMU, that'll be a tough one. Then at Temple, there's three seeming, you got to beat South Florida at home. There's no question about it. That's going to be a, a relatively tough game if they play like they did in the second half against North Texas. But— Eight wins, nine wins seems built in, and nine and three, eight and four. It's just hard to rationalize it behind the scenes to go fire a coach. Let's be honest about it. He's if you're graduating people, if 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 you're getting the amount of requisite amount of wins that you feel are necessary as an athletic department, that seems to be hard to do. You can't just fire a coach in that moment.
2: Right, and 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 to be fair to you know the people criticizing, right? It's, it is a fluid conversation. You know, like, of next course. week
0: we could be if, being if, like, if, you if they drop, drop South Florida, no,
2: Listen, we got to have conversations. If you drop
0: this game to North Texas and it's 42-38 and you allowed that second half comeback to go the way it did, right? then we can have the conversation and be real about it. The same things keep happening. They can't happen that way. I understand that. But they ended up pulling through, and they have a chance to still accomplish a lot of the goals they set out to accomplish this year. They need a little bit of help. Uh, you know, UT San Antonio likely has to lose. Um, if you beat SMU, you'd feel really good about it. But they can still make it to an AAC championship. They just have to win out. And at that point, all bets are off. All of that—that that conversation's off the table.
2: Right, completely wiped. In off. my opinion, you got to win three of the four. You've got to win three of the final four. You would like to win all four. And you know, I, I do want to address this too. I have seen some people be like, "Well, Tubby got fired because of the excitement around the program." Tubby got fired because they were losing too. (laughs) They were losing and they weren't recruiting. Okay, so it wasn't just that they were that there wasn't excitement around the program. They were losing games that they should win, and they weren't recruiting to that program. Ryan's he's recruiting. He's recruiting well. They're winning these games. I understand they're close. They're not in the fashion that you want them to win. I totally agree with that. They should have buried North Texas. This game should have been. They should have destroyed them in the second half. I get that. One hundred percent. But at the end of the day, they're winning these games where last year they were losing them.
0: Yeah, and um, that is
2: that's a, that is a sign of progress, and you know it might be minimal, but it is.
0: Now, I I, I do want to get out ahead of this because I saw a lot of people just hammering away at it and saying bowl eligibility is not the the level of success, the only level of success we should measure this program by, and I completely agree with that. I think if you have a uh, program where the expectations are raised you have to keep reading reaching those expectations I look at a guy like Dabo Sweeney who's now four and four by the way after losing to NC State something that I sort of felt after that first week loss against Duke on the way I don't need to pat myself on the back for that I think everybody saw that Dabo was falling down but when you reach these high expectations you have to keep feeding the beast right and I, I I that is why you see the disharmony the issues with the fan base and uh and and Coach Silverfield, but this is tenth. This is the tenth straight year that they will be in a bowl game. Tenth straight year. Man, I remember the That's, dark days. That is that is something <laughs> I remember. While, while it's not what this program should be, the only thing this program should be aspiring to year to year. I think AAC championship should be on the table. I think you should keep yourself in New Year Six uh, conversations when it comes to the group of five. That is something that you do have to take a little bit of pride in yeah i think in a lot of ways that is a good mark of success there's not a lot of programs out there that have that type of streak going for bowl eligibility 10 straight years and i again i don't think you always have to keep a an insane amount of uh you know you don't have to reflect on the dark days the dog days but i think when you talk about some of the more the older fans the historic fans around here the the fans that have followed this program for a while, ten straight bowl games is something you didn't necessarily think was going to be on the table for this program at any point um, after the Larry Porter era, going into the Fuente era. This is this has been a good streak for Memphis football, as much as you know. Right now, at times, it looks tough.
2: Right, I remember there were real conversations about if Memphis should get rid of the football pro- program. Those were real ha- conversations that were happening back in the day. So yeah, it's uh, you know, I would I would much rather be be this, but I agree with you. It's great that they have a, a a ten year streak of of bowls. It's not the the bar for success anymore at Memphis. It has been raised and it should have been, and it should be raised. But they're headed toward a season where they could still win nine or ten games. And in my opinion, if you win nine or ten games, that was a successful season. Yep. I understand that the excitement might not be there, but can we all can we all have a moment of truth too? Though I think some of the excitement that has been taken away from this season is also what happened with conference realignment. You know, like
0: you're, just, those you're, not, you're not playing the same the same level of power on your schedule. Well, oh, and it's I just like that. you did not get it.
2: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as thirty minutes without missing a minute of the game.
2: You have forty-seven new voicemails.
1: Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the app store or Google Play. Block and other restrictions supply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.
2: So it, it sucks. And it's, I get it. Yeah, and it, it takes but, away from the, so if so every single game that you look at this, you're like, this isn't a team that's gonna get in. But that's also not what's happening here. Like <laughs> Memphis isn't going to get like, in I, because they beat with Texas people, by twenty pe- or ten.
0: People don't get hyped up for win five of the, five of the last six games or UAB, North Texas, right. South it's Florida, fair. Charlotte, and Temple. Like it's it's fair. It's, it, I get it, I completely understand that. But nine wins, uh, ten wins potentially by the end of the year, it's nothing. It's nothing. Nothing to sneeze at. It's something to
2: like we said. You drop. In. You drop. Let's say two of these next four. We can have talks. Though we can have talks then. But right now, I think that you've got to be like. They almost lost that game, that they won. And I kind of agree with you. I think the second half was more on the players than it was the coaching staff. I do. There have been games. There have been games. UAB, the two-lane game, Boise State at moments where I was like, this team was not ready for this game. I didn't, I didn't like the game plan. I didn't like the offensive plays that were being called. The defense wasn't ready. I think those were fair to criticize the coaching staff. The second half versus North Texas came down to player execution most of the time.
0: Yep, yep. Offense, defense, special teams, the whole the whole thing. And it's got to be frustrating for a team and, and really a staff who gets the blame for that, who has to bear the brunt of the blame for that after the game um, and explain themselves, why did you have this collapse? Well, at <laughs> the end of the day, we have to execute. We have to catch balls on third and fourth down. Well, that's why With skates, the, the
2: game-winning touchdown, do you see how we caught it?
0: He, it was like every part of his body. <laughs> he was like he, he would
2: have used his legs if he could have to yes. catch that football. He just completely consumed it. And he was like there's no way am I dropping this football. Yeah. It was a great catch because he was he was being defended pretty well too.
0: Now uh, on to uh, something that was never in doubt. <laughs> that would be Tiger basketball in their first uh, their first exhibition Man. versus Lane College. Uh, I feel bad for Lane. That I was, don't. That wasn't <laughs> that fun. That was 100, awesome. 106 to 49. First half was 54 to 18. Second half. Fifty-two to thirty-one, um, and what's what's very apparent and very obvious is, while last year I think you had the two guys at the top, Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams, you could make arguments about those being the two best players on. It would would have been the two best players on this year's team if they had uh, if you had copy and pasted whatever. The depth on this particular team is something that exceeds anything we saw last year. Every every single guy on this roster can play, can go. David Jones was phenomenal. 17 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Jordan Brown, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 1 assist. Malcolm Dandridge looked very legitimate, and you see uh, sort of how he's been talked about this offseason is he has grown, he has matured, he's, he's ready to go. He's rearing and ready to go. 14 points, 6 rebounds, and 1 assist. But the Elijah McCadden's, the Mario Franklins, all those guys have turned into Jaquan Walton, and Ashton Hardaway, who can, who can stroke it from the outside. Nick Jourdain. Um, there's just so many guys on this team that have the ability to make an impact night to night, whereas last year's team, there was the two guys at the top then you had to ask questions about three through ten, basically.
2: They pass the trust test, if that makes any sense. When they're out there on the floor, when the ball gets kicked to them, I don't panic. I'm not like, oh, get the ball out of his hands. It's I trust every single guy that gets the ball thrown to him they were making the right plays. They were shooting the ball very well. You talked about Ashton Hardaway. Penny talked about how he's never had somebody that size that can shoot threes like that. The dude, three for five. You know, you, I, I and understand. And here's the thing:
0: if you're having issues with three point shooting during the year, I know that you, you came I know in this Lane. year not really expecting. But you came in this year not really expecting to play freshman. That's a guy who can immediately make an impact in three point shooting right. off the bat And I
2: know it was Lane, but hey, that's a very, very good first impression. From this Memphis Tigers team, they imposed their will early. They were all over the place on the defensive end of the basketball. David Jones looks like a legitimate AAC Player of yep. the Year candidate, and that's exactly what you wanted to see from him: two steals, one block, five assists, eight rebounds, 17 points. He was all over the place. It's exactly it, this went exactly how you hoped it would. Yes, exactly how you hoped it would.
0: Yes, um, but I, I was I was quite impressed with whatever everything they they ran out there. Uh, you know, you had questions about three point shooting. I'm not saying you put it to bed, but you can see that just about everybody on this team, especially in that starting lineup, can put up a three and potentially make it and have some confidence in it. Um, Defensively, they're locked in. They have a lot more experience. They're not going to play with their food at all. Uh, I know that Lane's D2, but they did not play with their food even in the slightest against that Lane team. Um, but something that does surprise you bring up David Jones as an AAC player of the year candidate. I, I figured this team was going to be so deep that I would sort of leave him out of that conversation. He's right there. And, and based on the way Penny has talked about him, I, I like the personality David Jones has as well. Um, but this is a guy I feel like Tiger fans are going to fall in love with. And he gives you the dirty work. He can do it all on the offensive end. The fact that he put up two threes and made two threes in this game shows me he can do it from the outside. Uh, he, he does everything that, that it takes to go win ball games. I'm excited to see David Jones in the regular season.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I, and I love the combination with him and Jordan Brown. Edges, I love that so much when they're out there on the floor together. It's it's, you know, you can't take too much away from it because it was Lane College, but they did what they were exactly what they were supposed to do. And like you said, we we've seen them struggle against teams like CBU in games like this, so it was nice to just see a blowout. It was nice to see it. It, it gave me some it encouraged me for the rest of the season.
0: Yep. Yep. Now uh we're going to have to see how they run out You know Their their first starting lineup, the starting lineup, it looks like uh, Javon Quinterly is a little bit banged up. So it was David Jones, Jordan Brown, Caleb Mills, Jaden Hardaway, and Jaquan Walton in that starting lineup. You're going to take out Jaden Hardaway and put Javon Quinterly um, after a minor injury, minor setback that he clearly suffered during camp. Um, But the starters, the backups, the reserves, you just have more depth, more power than you've had, in my opinion, in the entire Penny Hardaway era. Yeah. I don't know if there's really a debate about that right now raging on.
2: The only small criticism I would say is that the turnovers were there were there were 13 turnovers. You don't want to see that right. against a team like Lane College, but you know just get that under control and they're going to they're going to roll. They're going to roll. They're they're an exciting team.
0: And you sort of wonder how much of that is not having your your veteran table setter and Javon sure, really sure. So on the floor, so maybe that's part of it as well, and and that'll yeah. That'll three of them came from out. Mills,
2: and it's not, and he probably won't have the ball in his hands that much when he's now. What the- did
0: you think about Penny Hardaway? Penny Hardaway after the game, he didn't want to crap on the conference schedule, but <laughs> it's kind of hard not to. He told the truth. It's Florida Atlantic, and then who else? Really, somebody's going to fight for third. And we'll see if it's Tulane or UAB, whatever it may be. Uh, but he says the in or the, the 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 out of conference schedule is our schedule. Which I like the emphasis he's putting on it. I really do, because that is the truth of it. Your resume is built all, all up until conference play. You have to build up, find your seed line then, and then take care of business in the conference. I like the emphasis he's putting on it, as much as it may peeve some of the other American athletic conference fan bases that he says, oh, I'm just worried about the out-of-conference but that's what you should be worried
2: about. Yeah, I also don't think he was saying that he's just worried about the uh, – he he was saying that those are the most important games for them to win, and he's correct. He's correct in that. We've seen the last few years the, – the Memphis season has come down to games against Houston, and that's pretty much it. It's not the rest of the conference. It's the games against Houston, and what did they do out of conference has been the resume for the Memphis Tigers the last few seasons. I don't understand why people have such an issue with what Penny said. He told the truth. That's exactly yep. what it is.
0: Yep. I, I I agree with you. And again, if if that is the emphasis to those guys within that locker room, I think that is the correct emphasis. Yeah, I don't care about take care
2: of business in conference. I don't care about missing off
0: out. teams in the conference right now. If you're if you're going to go that direction, if you're giving them what they would what you may term as bulletin board material, but I feel as if if you take care of business against Mizzou, A and M, do your thing at battle for Atlantis, you raise your seed line, you get the national media on you. You win a couple top 25 games. You can put yourself in the AP top 25. That's what should be the emphasis right now. Deal with conference when it comes to you.
2: They are a popular pick for Final Four Dark Horse. Yes. And that is because of their out-of-conference schedule. (laughs) It's not because of the in-conference stuff.
0: Yes, no question about it. And that Final Four Dark Horse, that was Andy Katz who put them at number 10 in his potential Dark Horses to reach a Final Four. North Carolina, Illinois, A&M, Maryland, UCLA, Villanova, St. John's, Boise State, Wisconsin, all ahead of them. We'll see how, if they could move up that list, if you will, as the uh, out-of-conference schedule gets played and they win a couple of games. But Andy Katz put them at number 10 in his top 10 Final Four Dark Horses. Now, Grizzlies are 0-3, and they have not looked very good. Let's be, let's be honest. I thought they looked solid against the Nuggets on Friday. Obviously, we got out early to send you off uh, to the Grizz Radio Network to cover that game. Um, but it felt like they sort of left it all on the floor. And then when they played the Wizards the next night, they didn't have enough energy to to get through it. But they take on the Mavs tonight. They have made a signing. Going to talk about all that here in just a moment on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN.
1: Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN.
0: We are indeed live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios for the Gabe Coon Show. And Service Master by Cornerstone, they are your hometown responders. When you have a disaster around the home, around the office, school, residential property, whatever it is, call them. They respond in your time of need. They're the largest franchise in a 600-mile radius, but they're also the best. They've been awarded Service Master's Franchise of the Year Award, meaning they're the number one Service Master Restore franchise in the United States of America. It could be water damage. It could be storm damage. Uh, We're getting to the cold weather month, so if you have frozen pipes and one burst, guess what? You can call Service Master by Cornerstone. Then you could have a fire and have smoke damage. You could need mold remediation. Call Service Master by Cornerstone if you have any issues. Home, residential property, school, office, no matter the place, no matter the size, they're here to help you with that damage. Tyler, the president and owner of Service Master by Cornerstone, and his team take pride in helping you at moments like this. That's why their motto is, we don't pray for disaster, we just pray we get called when there is one. So remember the name, locally owned, locally operated. Service master by Cornerstone, your hometown responder. And uh, speaking of responding, responder, respond, that's their number. 901-RESPOND, 901-RESPOND, 901-RESPOND for service master by Cornerstone. Now, the Grizzlies, speaking of respond, they need to respond. They are 0-3 right now. And I, I see a lot of thoughts and takes out there about where this team is at and um, – you know what they need to get done going forward. None of this should be overly surprising. And the reason I say that is for the first three games of the year, um, no John Morant, of course, no Steven Adams for the year, no Brandon Clark, but then Santi Aldama and Luke Kennard have been out as well. It has just been about as painful a first three games injury-wise as you could have possibly imagined. That That is the full truth of it. Now, Game one against the Pelicans, we've already covered that. Game two against the Nuggets uh, last Friday when we passed you off. um, It was obviously a 6 o'clock tip. They did everything they could to go win that game. They did everything they could. And late in that game, they saw the championship DNA that the Nuggets possess, and they weren't able to get over top. Nuggets won 108-104. And quite frankly, I don't think Desmond Bain had a good enough game to go win ultimately, but they played good defense. They did what they could against Nikola Jokic. Uh, He had 22-12-7, but uh, honestly, compared to what he had been doing and, and will do the rest of this year, it's kind of a yeoman's line for him. But I thought they sort of let go all they could to try to win that game at home, get the fan base excited. They didn't come through. And then once they played the Wizards, the next night, less than 24 hours to prepare for that and a trip to D.C., that first half was miserable. And you, you get done with that first half, no real energy. You could tell they were tired. They were sluggish, even though it was the third game of the year. They're down by 16 at half. And then the rest of that game was just trying to see how things go and seeing if they could get themselves back into that game. They ended up losing 113-106. to 106. But it's been a painful first three games. I completely understand that. But an understandable start to the season for the Grizzlies to this point with five guys who are either starters or massive rotational players that they have not been able to have on the floor with them. It, it, it makes sense why they're struggling the way they are.
2: Yeah, you know, I understand the frustrations watching this team early this season. I'm not down, though, with these big idea takes that people are having from these first three games because here's what's confusing me. After Friday night's game against the Nuggets, people were like, that's the best I've felt after a win. Ever. Uh, It's a a lot of the, yeah, after a a loss. Best I've felt after a loss in a long time. And then after the Wizards game, people were acting like the sky was falling. It it can't be both, y'all. It can't be both. This team is missing five of their first 10 guys, they are struggling. It's not from a lack of effort. It's from a lack of talent. It's from a lack of bodies, y'all. They are giving. They are trying. And if we need to be completely honest about it, Jaron Jackson Jr. hasn't shown up on the offense. We haven't end
0: had it. We haven't had a Jaron offensive game.
2: yet. Right. They they have been playing well defensively. I think that this team has been playing well defensively. They pushed the the defending champions right to their limit with with not a lot of guys. That is an impressive thing to do. I'm just not down with the whole, this roster sucks, This there's no effort here, the The front office screwed this up. We have got to put this team in perspective I mean, for the first three to games. That,
0: to that point, though, Connor, I think there is some things, like, when you look back, the trading, for DeAnth- or trading away of DeAnthony Melton and David Roddy and Jake LaRavia... Um, you know, going to draft them. Like, there, there's some missteps they've had over the years. Not having a backup plan for Steven Adams, I think, is a misstep, although he had never been hurt in his career, basically, up until this point. And he's, I mean, about, tried to do the holistic thing. I guess so. And, like, there's, like, there's, there's, there, like, there is some missteps, I think, that, that, this, uh, that this front office and this organization has made. But I, I don't think you can really, based on the hand that was dealt, Early in this season, Stephen Adams being out for the year, you knew Ja was going to be out for twenty five. You knew that Brandon Clark was going to be out for just about the whole year. We'll see if he can come back. Come back at some point, but not having Luke Kennard due to a concussion and not having Santi Aldama, your two probably best bench players, considering what you have on the floor and available to you right now, like those are that's that's a blow that is hard for any team to get over.
2: I agree that I. I think the LaRavia thing might be, may have been a misstep. I, right. agree, I agree with that. I don't really agree with not having a backup plan for Stephen Adams because you can't build a team with assuming that guys get hurt. And if you really want to look at it, this is the big man rotation that the Grizzlies plan to have. Stephen Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr., Santi Aldama, Brandon Clark when he was healthy, and Xavier Tillman. That's a very good big man rotation. So I'm not super interested in conversations about, oh, they should have, if they traded into the draft, why didn't they trade for a center? Because they didn't need a center,
0: y'all. They and need all a of wing. the realistic targets outside player. of Walker Kessler, we're not, we're not Walker realistic. Walker
2: Kessler, I think, is a very fair thing to talk about. Yes. Walker Kessler. You also have to be realistic about the situation, y'all. They didn't need a center. They didn't need a center at the time. Those weren't the conversations. Everybody keeps trying to do this retrospective conversation you were about that for draft. A wing they of were the looking were Looking for a wing for the future. What are we doing? Stop talking about trading up to get Jalen Duran. It wasn't, it wasn't possible. There was yeah. no way they could have gotten Jalen Duran on this Memphis way, Grizzlies team. Good God. Stop talking about that. I know. He's unbelievable. He's and been I'm been so happy. I was on him yeah. from the moment he walked on the Memphis Tigers. I was like, that dude's gonna be amazing. He's the Ben Wallace of the future for the for the Pistons. <laughs> He's unbelievable. This has is two no and one way, now, too. There is no way that guy was going to be a Memphis Grizzly, and we have got to get that out of our minds. We have got to be realistic about the conversations we're having. If you want to talk about that Jake Laravia may be a miss, I'm down to talk about that. He hasn't been what we need him to be the first few games. Zaire Williams, he's showing something. He's showing something, which is pleasing. It's encouraging. We need to see that moving forward. Marcus Smart. He's been good.
0: I've been I, encouraged.
2: I, I like Marcus Smart. Derrick Rose, he's looked good. Desmond Bain has looked good. Jaron Jackson Jr., we need more from him. That's yep. the truth of the matter I,
0: well, here. And well, also, with, with the hand they're being dealt, as far as injuries are concerned, like, what we've seen through the first three games is one of one of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, they cannot have an off-night No, they both got to be there's, there's no way. It's, it's, it's hard to win NBA basketball games. As it stands. But if your two best players that you're going to rely on and count on offensively are going to lay eggs night to night, you're not going to win these games. You you're need, just
2: not. You need one of them to score 25-plus and the other to score 20. You need That's it. what
0: you need. You, you need, need it every it. single night And I thought Jaron right against the Nuggets, um, he did have five fouls again, so the foul trouble keeps following him. He's been great on the defensive end. I, I he's think been That's great. a given. Defensive, he's just, been great. You put that in there. Um, but I thought he looked okay against the Nuggets. 21 points, 9 for 12 shooting. Uh, Two for two from three. He had nine rebounds, too, as well. A couple assists. Like, that was what you want to see from him, but five fouls. Five fouls. So you had to take him off the floor intermittently throughout that second half, and that hurts you. Desmond Bain didn't show up in that game, right? You need both of those guys to be mainstays, main cogs offensively if you want to save a good record in the first 25. But we do have to also realize – you're getting back a top ten, top fifteen player in John Morant uh in twenty-two more games. So I think offensively things will figure themselves out, but those guys for the mean for the meantime, in the meantime, cannot lay eggs the way they have the first three games.
2: Right. I agree with that. But we talked about it. you're gonna have the fans have to hold the line here for a minute. It's gonna be ugly for these first twenty-five games, especially with the additional injuries of Luke Kennard and Santi Aldama. People are underestimating, I think, the impact of those two players. They open up a lot of things on the offensive end. Santi is good on the defensive end. He also helps with the rebounding game. And then we got a reinforcement coming. Yeah. We have a reinforcement now, coming.
0: This is this is uh, this is something um that you're gonna have to pay attention to after five games when the when the exemption hardship exemption hits for John Morant, the Grizzlies plan to sign Bismack Biombo. Where's Bismack Biombo been the most recently? He's been with the Phoenix Suns the past two seasons. Um, but last year, 4.3 points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game. Still a, a force as far as uh, um, protecting the rim, 1.4 blocks per game, even in limited minutes last year. Not a sexy signing. You shouldn't have expected it to be a sexy signing, but it's what they need in the current, in the current form they're at right now. And I think Bismack Biyombo immediately inserts himself directly into that rotation because there's no choice right now. Um, one thing that is – he does give me a little bit of hope. Uh, there's some positivity to take away from this. I think he helps with all the things that they're deficient at right now in the front court. He can help you block shots, he can anchor that way. And then when it comes to production as far as screen assists, he's pretty damn good. Um, per 36, he's right there with Rudy Gobert and Yusuf Nurkic, um, 5.8 screen assists per game. Uh, per 36 uh, minutes last year. So this is a guy who is who's a lot better than anybody else they have on their roster at trying to free up some of those guys, you know, Desmond Bain, uh, that, the, the guys that are going to set the table. So I think that, you know, having somebody on ball that can help replace a little bit of that screen production that Steven Adams left behind is going to be a lot more massive than people think right this second.
2: Yeah, I think he is, probably the best of the realistic options that were available for the Memphis Grizzlies, outside of trades, outside of trades, which I still think down the line they may end up making a trade for a player if this thing doesn't go the way that they want it to. But this is a good first step to try to get a reinforcement in there. He's certainly going to help the rebounding game. He's good defensively, and like you said, he does the screen assist well, which is a huge part of this Memphis Grizzlies offense. I was really excited to see that Bismack Biombo was going to come back to the Memphis Grizzlies. I like him. I like Bismack a lot. I think he's going to help the team. Is he the is he the fix all? Is he going to solve all the problems? Of course not. But he's certainly going to help. He's going to, you know, it, it's kind of putting a band-aid on an open wound, but at least we got a band-aid.
0: Yes, I, there's just what they've been dealt. The adversity they've been dealt. It stinks. It's just it's hard to have these expectations that they're supposed to have a winning record after 25 games this year with the with the injuries and the problems they've had to deal with. So We'll see what they can do tonight against the Mavs. I think it should be noted tonight against the Mavs. Jaron's got to show up. Has to. Because I don't think by any stretch of the imagination this Mavs front court is something he should be scared of. He needs to get inside of the damn three-point line and start attacking. I saw him do a little bit of that against the Nuggets. Tonight needs to be the night. I know Derek Lively's been solid, but he's still a rookie. Um, Then you have Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleber. This needs to be a night for Jaron offensively to go unleash what he has and show us what he showed us last year. Like, I think the problem with Jaron that frustrates you the most is you've seen him at his peak offensively, and you know what he can do. You know how freakish he can be at getting to the rim and making things happen, but he settles for too many jumpers, and he's just more inefficient than he needs to be. I think that's the problem. Last year when Ja was out, when he was averaging near 25 points per game in that stretch, you saw what he could be and the consistency he could do it with. And so far this year, we haven't seen it.
2: It starts at the rim for Jaron. It really does. When you look at the Nuggets game, a lot of his shots happen within the paint. And that's his bread and butter. That's where his mismatch is the most. He's he's a good three-point shooter, no doubt about it. But teams want him to shoot threes. Yes. There's a reason he's open for those three-point shots. The teams are wanting him to do those instead of attacking the paint because he's such a mismatch he's a nightmare mo- he's, when he gets he's in there. Mo-
0: I mean, he's a seven-foot athletic Athletic power forward at this point in his career. He's always going to have mismatches against bigs that try to match up with him. He can stretch him out to the three point line. That's great and all, but he can also get them off the bounce, get them off the dribble. Put two, I've, I've said this for a while, when you see these games where he wants to live at the three point line, put two post moves to memory and just go at it. And that the baby hook he has in the lane with his left seems at times to be unstoppable. Get to that as much as possible. Because you're going to have to be a lot more efficient and, and a lot better on the offensive end if this Grizzlies team through the first 25 wants to stay afloat.
2: This is a winnable game for the Memphis Grizzlies. It really is because they are a mismatch problem For the Mavericks, even with the injuries that they have, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a matchup nightmare for them. Desmond Bain is a matchup nightmare for them. Marcus Smart can be a matchup nightmare for them because they are not very good defensively. Grant Williams is probably going to be on Jaron Jackson Jr. most of the night. That's what I would expect. He's going to do a good job against them, but you can still exploit that matchup. Play well defensively and execute on the offensive end, and you have a chance to win this Grant game. Grant
0: Williams has a size issue. It's he does. It's a size he mismatch. Gonna, the
2: effort's going to be there, but he does have a size issue. Try to get him in foul trouble if you can early. Luka has had to average 41 points per game for them to win two games. He has had to be literal MVP level every single night for them to win. You have, got, you have to contain Luka. If you contain Luka, you can win this basketball game. And luckily, they've got the guy to get it done. Marcus Smart is the type of player who hopefully can keep Luca outside of the forty. <laughs> if you if you can let let yeah. him, it's 30's fine. Let him get thirty. You just gotta keep him at bay.
0: It it does it does scare me though that Kyrie hasn't really had a Kyrie game through the first two. He has he hasn't really unleashed himself yet offensively. And I just hope I hope it's not tonight here in Memphis. That would stink. I hope it's not tonight, but Luca the other night against the Nets. Kyrie it says Kyrie's hey, a game
2: time decision, but
0: um but if he does play Somebody you gotta you're gonna have to pay attention to Luca the other night though against the Nets. Merciful Unbelievable heavens, he was phenomenal. That shot, I don't know how that goes in. Points, ten, 10 rebounds, seven assists. The it was like a that was ridiculous. He just sort of. Flung Remember one up Bridges there. too. It's like flung one up there crazy. and went in. Uh, he was 9 for 14 from 3, and I think the biggest part of this whole thing, 49, 10, and 7, not a single turnover for Luka Doncic in that game.
2: He's unbelievable.
0: He's, he's I, incredible. I mean, I talked about it after game one. I, I think for a lot of people, and I'm one of these guys, I mean, he's still young. He's still, I mean, right now he's 24 years old. I feel like at some point this is a guy who will probably take advantage and go win an MVP. Through the first two games, he has been trying. he has been showing that. He's been showing he could be on a fast track to be directly in that conversation. But we'll see. We shall see. But the Grizzlies take them on at 7 o'clock. We'll pass you off to uh, Grizzlies pregame at 6.30 with Jessica Benson on the Grizzlies radio network. Now jump into the Memphis Grizzlies action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed, plus all customers get three months of NBA League Pass courtesy of FanDuel when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. That way you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings instantly, so don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA League Pass. Just visit Fanduel.com slash Gabe K. That is my promo code g-a-b-e-k again g-a-b-e-k and tip off the nba season right fanduel is the official sports betting partner of the memphis grizzlies You must be 21 plus and present in tennessee new customer offer first online real money wager only refund issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days all customer offer five dollar nba wager requirement limit one pass per customer across both offers restrictions apply void where prohibited see full terms for both offers at fanduel.com sportsbook if you have a gambling problem Call the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. NBA League Pass, local blackout restrictions still do apply. Now, Jeff Coggins is scheduled to join the show. We'll go ahead and get to that next right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Listen to every MLB game live.
1: And the deep left center field, it is high,
0: it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader.